Welcome back to Appleosophy Weekly. Today we're joined by a very special guest, Jacqueline Dallas. She's a content creator with a focus on consumer electronics. She reviews the latest gadgets on her YouTube channel, Nothing But Tech, and she also recently started an NBT products campaign. It's a brand dedicated to the same mission as her channel, infusing excitement and quality into consumers' experiences with technology. Jacqueline, how are you doing? Thanks for joining us. Dude, thank you. And you nailed that intro. It's like a mouthful. Uh, thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely honored and super stoked. Cool. It's awesome that you're joining us. Now, you're pretty seasoned when it comes to uh, podcasts yourself. You host the Digital Dive podcast, your co-hosts on there. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, that podcast has been so much fun. Um, it's definitely a completely different arena than YouTube videos because it's very long form. It's like 40 or 50 minutes. Uh, wow. I co-host it. Yeah, I co-hosted it with uh, a really good friend of mine, Darsh Kathani, who actually was like the first YouTuber that I ever met, uh, wow. like six and a half years ago. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Um, and we, a year and a half ago, like right before the pandemic started, we're touching base about wanting to work together on something. And I really wanted to create a podcast. So we started the Digital Dive. Uh, and it's just like a conversation about tech. We try to keep it super casual and like dig a little deeper into the topics that don't necessarily make it onto YouTube. I love how it's less, your podcast is less of an NPR kind of vibe and more of just a casual coffee shop vibe, kind of like this, just Thank you. having an introspective conversation on tech. I love that. And I think we're losing that a little bit in today's world. So it's cool to see people that are out there doing that, not just, you know, regurgitating the news or making memes out of it, but actually having a, a conversation about it. Thank you. Yeah. You know, I, I think like, podcasting is a platform where you have a little bit more flexibility and like leaving in authentic moments versus YouTube. Not that you can't be authentic on YouTube, but it, it like their content is highly optimized for retention. Whereas on podcasting, you have like the benefit of people doing another thing while they're listening. So like maybe they're cooking or they're driving. So inherently, like you don't need to be as interesting or like as fast paced. So it's actually been super liberating for me to be able to talk about things that I wouldn't be able to talk about on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. Podcasters like I Justine, they're they're recording the back of a minivan while on expedition. It's kind of cool. Yeah. You can do from anywhere, especially if you have an iPad or something like that. Yeah, for sure. And I think also like the collaboration, Darsh lives in Toronto. So we're oh, obviously wow. like super far away and like he's in a different country. And the collaboration is um like we're able to do it really easily. Whereas if you were on like a YouTube channel collaborating, you could still do it, but it just wouldn't feel like you're in the same place. Versus like when you're listening to the podcast, you can't necessarily tell that we're doing it remotely. Yes. And this is something that was that was born in the pandemic, which is so interesting. So many wonderful things were born in, during the pandemic. What what inspired you to get started? Just I mean, just beyond your passion and your friendship with Darsh. Yeah. For the podcast, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was mainly um, from a business perspective, it was a desire to kind of um, not put all my eggs in one platform basket. So my podcast is like just running at a huge deficit. Like we make no money from it. So maybe that we didn't achieve that goal yet. Um, but I wanted to make sure also that I had like more touch points with my audience and a podcast is a much lower lift than like a YouTube video, which takes 20 hours, like a yes, podcast I can do every week. Yeah. So like if right now, if I'm not producing a YouTube video every week, like at least I'm interacting with them in some way, which is like every week, Monday in a podcast episode. So I think that that was a main reason. And then also um, I kind of felt that there were a lot of conversations about tech that weren't being had on YouTube that 
needed to be had in a convert like the conversational format was integral to it being like a good conversation versus just talking to the camera about it um like for example right to repair or something is better when you can have like two different perspectives definitely i definitely agree and that's why that's why we like to keep this show at at two to three people including myself if you can keep conversations uh intimate like that that what was your um like what was the um idea when you started this podcast like what started it off for you you know, I've been asked that that question before on this show, and it really started. Do you remember back in 2017 when they they opened the Steve Jobs Theater? Yeah. And it had that whole dedication in the beginning, and it had that quote from Steve Jobs, and and he was sort of talking about this this uh, this arc of life, and the thing how, how the thing that he found most important was to make something wonderful and put it out there. And hopefully it enriches people's lives in one way or another. And the one thing that's always come naturally to me is technology and computers. And I love, and I can educate or teach somebody something about, you know, maybe something that's been sitting in their pocket for years, they didn't know it could do. And now it's enriched their lives in, in, in some way that they never even thought would be possible. That's, that's the aha moment for me. And I think by doing a podcast, uh, I, I can achieve that. Yeah, I can experience that feeling weekly. Totally. I think like at the end of the day, if you're creating content online and people are consuming it, you're transforming their perspective in some way, even if it's like subconsciously. Um, And I think tech is such a transformational thing. Um, So it's amazing that we get the opportunity to talk about it and interface with people that are also super interested in it. Totally agree with you. I, I really try to try to put everything in perspective and create an honest show. You know, this isn't the yeah. Apple Sheep show. We, we love <laughs> Apple, but uh, but we're not going to make excuses for them. And we have to we have to put everything in perspective in, in regards to the tech industry as a whole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Renee Ritchie is like someone that does an incredible job with that, um, yes. where he could be like super objective, and also he just knows everything about Apple. Like I'm blown away by the things that he remembers about them in their early stages. Um, I think it's totally valid, and if you can like a product while critiquing it. I think that actually like helps a company get better. So I agree. I, I think um, it would actually be the Apple's detriment and everyone else's detriment if we all just praised everything that they did. And, and, and that's the thing is Renee likes to say, you can love or hate any company, but it's my hope that the consumer can be more educated, make more educated yeah. decisions uh, as, as far as which markets and which products they support. Yeah, for sure. Is there um, a recent decision that as Apple has made that you're like not down with that you hate? You know, I feel the battery case is a little controversial to me. We can get on that topic. It starts yeah. at $99, which is a little steep compared to third-party uh, competitors like Anchor and things like that, pretty much right out of the gate. But Do you think that we're moving towards a future with something like this where the iPhone will eventually go portless? Like, is this one step in that direction of making like MagSafe a bigger deal in the charging ecosystem? I, I sure hope not, because I feel like that okay. that uh, that would reduce a lot of the customizability that developers have. It would destroy mm-hmm. jailbreaks, which I'm sure Apple would love. You, you know, you, it makes me think what kind of, you know, we have macOS recovery. Will there be an iOS recovery that's over the air if you have a portless iPhone? Uh, how do you do that? Could you... Is there is there a newer version of MagSafe that has data transfer and then you can create restore disks like you do for a Mac and sort of just clip those to your phone? It, you know, you start thinking about those kinds of things. 
Yeah, I think um, I I feel like there's been so much speculation about if Apple's gonna eventually go USB Type C and like change the Lightning port to that. But I honestly think that be like they're more likely to go portless than change to USB Type C on the iPhone. Um, especially because I think we're moving towards a more portless future or wireless charging future. But I I would be shocked if they did it like in the next like two years. Like I think it's gonna be a longer term play. Yeah. So you see a wireless future, a totally wireless future as the end game. Uh, and I yeah. think they wanted too much too fast. Uh, we, we see how air power turned out. Rest yeah, brutal. <laughs> but that's where you see the direction going. Is that is that the direction you want things to go? I would say not now, but I, I'm not like ruling it out for the future. I think if wireless charging speeds get faster and they get more convenient, then I could see it becoming that. But I think right now, because they're not super fast and because the like MagSafe pockets pretty large i can't really foresee like wanting that over just a regular plug-in cable but yes i feel like we're not innovating as much in battery as we are in like camera or screen i'm crossing my fingers for the hydrogen batteries yeah you think we'll get that anytime soon i hope so i really hope so imagine they say those things can can rapid charge just by sucking in air imagine if your your iphone just just breathes in a bunch (laughs) of air it's like i'm charged i'm ready to go i'm ready to go yeah That'd be sick. 100% down for that. Now, you launched your very own product, your first nothing but tech product. You want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. Um, so that product, for anyone watching on video, I'll like hold one of them up right now. Um, cool. That product is basically a collaboration with uh, a company called Dive, who um, I've been like an advisor for, but um, they are fundamentally at their core a software company, but they're, they um, saw this market for NFC custom cards and they sent me a video of like this plain Luke Fabricatory, the co-founder, and I are really good friends. So he sent me a video like seven months ago, maybe. And it was this plain card and he tapped at the back of his phone and a page popped up with a bunch of links to wow. um, his YouTube channel, his Instagram. And it was his Hydrant page, which is like a dive service. It's kind of like Linktree, but it's like much cleaner. Uh, I was like, this is so cool. And at that exact time, I was trying to figure out a product I could launch to my audience that was affordable, played into the community aspect and was tech. Cause I feel like a tech creator hasn't done a tech product yet. There's been tech accessories, but there hasn't yes. been something that's like fundamentally tech. So I thought that'd be like super cool. Um, and I pitched them on it and then they were down. Uh, so ever since then, the idea has evolved a lot since that, like the card is a lot more, you can transfer files with it. You can um, link it to any page you want. You can uh, also with the MBT cards, like get exclusive perks. So um, I worked with Luke to design all the designs for them. He's incredible. Um, And we wanted to make sure that with every design, if you were part of the MBT community, there'd be things that you'd notice like, oh, this relates to Jacqueline's ring that she always wears, or, oh, this is Jacqueline's favorite show. Like there's all these like hidden references in different parts, but I I wanted to make sure if you didn't, thank you. Yeah. But I wanted to make sure if you didn't know me, like you could still rock the card. So every design is like, just like clean, I think, um, without being like overly MBT. And then- um, when you get the card, you join like the MBT cardholder community. So we're doing exclusive things for that. So like exclusive wallpapers, live streams, wow. stuff like that. Yeah. That's excellent. My favorite one is the cold brew design. That I, is, myself. I feel like as a coffee drinker, um, like one of the most satisfying things in the world is mixing in the milk. So yeah. if you like flip Ooh. the card, the milk mixes in, which I kind of think is a cool thing. So uh, yeah, those are the starting designs. The the software and stuff dive like just knocked out of the park. So I think it's like a really cool product. It's been super well received, which I'm super grateful for. So that's like the first, I guess, forte into 
I think it's really cool when a creator can bring the same digital experience that they bring to the physical world. So with every video, I try to make people excited about tech and inform them and kind of like make their experiences better with it. And I wanted to bring that to the physical world and also bring the community vibe to the physical world. So yes, I think we did this, that. This is perfect for, for new business owners as far as a marketing uh, networking is a big one. Uh, it's, it's really a product for everybody. Anybody that has does any kind of creating has their own business. Um, I'm looking to get one myself. I just can't decide which design I want to go with yet. So maybe oh, I'll thank decide you. today. Um, I love that it's it's like the magic of AirPods, but in a car. You just kind of tap near the phone and it and it loads something up. And I love that you can do files because I work yeah. I, and with my business. I work so hard on on these infographics and brochures and things like that. And you know, sometimes I don't want to set up a whole page for that. They just want to see the pricing. They just want to see the breakdown of the services. And so to grab a card and you know tap it near their phone and, and have that pop up, that's that's worlds of convenience. Yeah, like I could see restaurants like having this at like the front and then having everyone tap it to like get their menu or something yes. like that. I, I think events could really use it where um, every like every attendee at the event could have their own card and you could program it. So the first time they tap it it brings up a map of the venue. And then the second time oh. they tap it, it brings up their profile. And you can kind of like create a network where everyone can easily network with each other. Um, yeah, I think there's a ton of potential so for it. So you can sequence I, out taps as well. I didn't know that. The Yeah, if the event wants to work directly with us, um, we can kind of set it up where when you tap it um, one time, it goes to certain things. And then also on that same token, you can instantaneously change where it's going to. So you mm -hmm. can um, set it up where like on the first time they tap it. And then once you know that everyone's tapped it that way, then you would just change where it links to. But the double tap feature is for an emergency contact. So um, that's like, if you double tap it within 10 seconds on a phone, if you have to set up like your emergency contact information will come up. So wow, I'm hoping that's, that that's also helpful to people. Yeah. That would be extremely helpful. I, I love how this this product is is you on paper. It combines you know your excitement for technology and physical products with you know, your entrepreneurial spirit, your desire to uh, support uh, other creators and influencers in, the, in the, not only the tech sphere, but beyond that. I think that's really cool. Thank you. Yeah, you know, um, I'm super excited about it. Like, I think it's an awesome um, project and Dive is like such an incredible partner. Like Luke and I, Luke was actually one of the first people I ever met. We've known each other since the beginning of my career, basically like six and a half years ago. And we've worked together on probably hundreds of different things. He's um, an incredible motion designer and uh, graphic designer. So we've worked on countless different projects. So when he started Dive, I was like just stoked to help them out and kind of advise for them. And then when they um, had this product come out, I was um, or when they initially like showed me the original idea for it, I was just like down to work on it with them because I trust them and I they they just bring so many unique experiences to consumers. And I think that their software is super strong. I want to ask you as an enthusiast uh, of remote work, uh, we all have a lot of experience with it given what happened last year. Um, how do you feel about uh, Apple and how they're requiring their employees to, first they were requiring their employees to return uh, this September to in-person yeah. work at least three days a week. Um, uh -huh. Now they've extended that over Delta variant concerns it won't happen until October. They won't require until October for people to come back at least three days a week. Yeah, you know, um, I think the pandemic is so unpredictable, which is like its, its own kind of worm. So the fact that the date just keeps getting pushed back is unfortunate, but I think that it's the right move because um, we just don't know what the future is going to be like with it. I had one job uh, 
at Cornell Tech, which was, uh, they're like a, Cornell's obviously a university and Cornell Tech is like their graduate school, but they do a lot of other projects. And I was like doing marketing and stuff for them. So I worked in the office a little bit there um, and I liked it. Um, I think that company culture is something that you can't really quantify in like the projects that you get done. So I think like, even if remote work is getting the same quantity of projects, like there's something about being in an office with people and like kind of working towards that same why statement that is just like not tangible in the numbers. You know, there's a quote from from Tim Cook where he says, the very best work we've done at Apple, we did when we were in person. And we just want to get back to that. We think it's really important. Do you find that you're more productive in a work from home space? No, God, I'm the worst. I think right now we're obviously, I'm out of my bedroom, but my like main studio desk that I edit everything at is like right next to my bed. So it's dangerous territory because I can end up like staying up until 4am working on a video, but then also like during the day I can take a five minute break and then I like waste an hour. Um, So I think like having the separation of being in an office space and like knowing, okay, I'm here for work and that's what I'm doing is better. Um, And I also think collaboration is much easier, obviously not during the pandemic, but just in general, like if you're working from home, you're probably less likely to have other people come work with you because then you have to have them to your house. So I think um, like for a YouTuber where a lot of your job is alone, like you film by yourself, you edit yourself by yourself. Like there are tons of aspects of it where you're by yourself. I think it's important to look for ways to be working with other people collaboratively, which I think is why an office space is like important, but I'm also not against like remote work for part of the week. I think that that's like a good balance. I, I that would definitely agree with that. Many employees at Apple, uh, penned, a letter. They signed a letter to uh, Deidre O'Brien. She's head of retail and people. Okay. Uh, it was also addressed to Tim Cook as well. And and they basically are requesting sort of a pilot program. That's what they're calling it. And they say, you know, we, we would like to, on an employee by employee basis, not requiring executive approval, apply to be 24-7 work from home employees. And Apple is saying no to that. These employees are threatening to quit now, some of them. Um, what are your thoughts on that? You know, I think uh, if a lot of the other major tech companies offer this, then Apple is going to be in a tough spot because if you can work at Google and get 24-7 work from home, I think a lot of engineers or something, if they're interested in that, may take it. But I also think that Apple has kind of a cult following of people that really love them and believe in the vision and like the whole thing different thing and they, they want to contribute to that. So Apple's in a really good position where working for them is like such a like sought after thing, like a dream job for a lot of people that I think yes. they have a little bit more flexibility. Unless like, we'll see. I, I think if all the companies start offering fully remote, then maybe Apple will have to. But I also don't think that, and I could be wrong here, but I think that long-term people would not be satisfied with fully remote. Like I think if your work is a huge part of your social life, then being fully remote is like super bad for your mental health if everything... Yes if all of your interactions are digital. Georgia Dow had a whole video on uh, post-pandemic anxiety. And, you know, for for many, uh, I don't like to use these terms, but she said for many introverts, it was a huge thing. You know, uh, being able to stay at home, it was, there was a sense of comfort in that, whereas extroverts wanted to get back to reality. I also think though, we've been through like just a horrible year and really a year and a half of like a lot of the things that we never even thought could like, not be like could be taken away from us were because of the virus. Um, Yes. So I also think that maybe people aren't in like the same headspace to make a decision like this. Like if you go from no socialization to like tons again, like I think for introverted people that may be really difficult. 
Um, but I also could understand extroverted people like now having missed a year and a half of it, like wanting that level back. So I think it's definitely going to be a middle ground scenario. I personally like know some people that work at Google and mm -hmm. what they love about it is like seeing the same people every day and like having that community feel. And I think if people are on different remote schedules, you may lose some of that as well. Um, yes. So yeah, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see like the long-term effects of this. I think for creators- yeah, how does that feed into company morale and, yeah. and, and things like that? That's, or like that's... how- how it affects like everyone's like life. Like, are their spouses different now? Cause they don't meet people at work. Like, are their friends different? The way we meet people, I think is moving a lot towards meeting people in the digital space, um, which is great because you can meet a lot more people like you and I would have never met if not for the digital space. But I yes. also think that the connections are just very different than in-person connections for all, if like all of your connections are digital. I think that's not great. Definitely. Yeah, and we, and we talked extensively about that with David Pogue uh, as far as digital wellness and and uh, the lack of serendipity when it comes to yeah. uh, communication. You're scheduling things. Even just something like going to a coffee shop to pick up a coffee and like running into someone or like running into someone at the grocery store. If like you're suddenly doing like DoorDash and Grubhub and Instacart for all your stuff, like a lot of people were doing in the pandemic, then you just like you miss out on like the incidental social interactions that I honestly think make life great. Um, yes. Those so are the I think that that's tough. Yeah. If you're working from home and all of your calls are work related, I think to make the assumption are like pretty happy with their jobs and like them a lot. But I think a lot of people don't love their jobs. And if like your only social interaction is just your jobs online, um, like if you're only getting the negative parts of like doing the work, but not yes. the positive parts of hanging out in the office. Our next story of the day uh, Call Ming-Chi, he's a famous leaker. He's predicting that Apple will announce a new MacBook Air in mid-2022 with a mini LED display. Is the future mini LED, Jacqueline? What do you think? I honestly don't know. Um, I, I think it's really cool. Um, obviously, we saw it on the iPad Pro 12.9 inch. Um, and I think it helps a lot with contrast and sharpness and just making a better quality display. I also think that Macs have really good screens as it is right now. I, any, any innovation is good innovation, obviously. I think that Apple always looks for a feature that they can advertise visually. Um, like for example, uh, when they come out with a new phone and they add an extra camera lens, like that's something that you yes. can easily show a visual representation of what's going on. And I think with mini LED, you can easily show like the, what the screen looks like with it and do like a side-by-side. -side. Same thing mm -hmm. with like high refresh rate, you can easily show the difference. Um, and as tech becomes, more normalized and like there isn't as much major innovation every year. Um, I think it's important that they focus on visual things so then people feel like there's a difference. So yeah, I don't know. What do you think about um, if, do, do you think this is like the next big thing or is it just Apple slowly iterating? Well, I, think, I think there's always the next big thing. I, I see mini LED as, as a stepping stone to micro LED. And we've had so many conversations on this podcast uh, about the direction the market direction of displays and and consumer displays, pro displays, where is this all going? And and I, I think mini LED coming to the MacBook Air is, is such a tremendous idea. Having that that million to one contrast ratio. The MacBook Air used to be a lightweight machine. Now it's a photo editing monster. Not quite video yeah. editing. We don't have that sustained performance yet that you might get with, with the fan and better cooling. But when it comes to photo editing, multi channels on M1 whether you go seven core or eight core, M1 is just a blow away on this machine uh, when it comes to photo editing. I have several uh, friends who are creative pros. I've showed this to them and they're just blown away by M1. It's it's astounding. And and at such a, 
entry level price point, it's awesome because you have people pushing the limits of what their tech can do. Somebody that yeah. may be in photo editing, editing and they couldn't maybe afford all the equipment to do it. Now they can just pick up a MacBook Air and they're 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 whizzing away. They're they're following a passion that maybe they've sat on for a while. Yeah. Um, I, I used a MacBook Air actually. It's like my, my main computer, like the one that we're talking on right now is a 16 inch MacBook Pro. Um, but I also have a MacBook Air for like lighter tasks and stuff. I think that the form factor is great. Um, and I think that a lot of people, I think underestimate maybe what people do on the MacBook Air. Like it's like, yes. it's often recommended as like the device for students or something. But I think a lot of people buy it that are professionals as well, that maybe do coding or um, photo editing, like you said. And I think M1 is really going to change, continue to change the game and what we're able to do in that small form factor. Uh, so it makes sense to have a display that's accurate. Um, and I think HDR is going to become a really big thing as well. Yes. So I think we're going to keep seeing like display innovations. Uh, I think the other area that you and I kind of discussed like off camera where they should innovate is battery life. Um, yes. Obviously M1 has really affected that. Like it's made it much more efficient, but just in terms of like, battery cell capacity, I think that that's another area where we could see innovation in the next three or four years. What do you think about, I mean, obviously, the the latest gen MacBook Air kept the same chassis as the 2018 model, uh, just with no fan, it didn't require a fan. And that alone is just, wow, you're doing all this. Yeah. And we took out the fan, oh my god. But do you think next gen's MacBook Air, now that we're able to remove many of those pieces that are part of the digital charcuterie that is that logic board. Um, do you think we can? There's room to jam in more battery in there. Do you think they'll bring that terraced structure from the original MacBook over to the Air and provide some even better battery life than there is now? Yeah, you know, I could definitely see them doing that. Um, I think that was a really actually good innovation uh, with the original MacBook, the way that they were able to kind of optimize for space. I also think that right now the Battery life is something that I think a lot of people don't think about initially, but then it affects them on an every single day basis. Like I think yes. people think a lot about the color when they're buying it or things that are more obvious, but they don't think about the battery cell capacity right away. Um, I also think that there are a lot of things that affect battery beyond just the capacity. Like for example, the processor and the efficiency. Yes. So could it be more advantageous or get them further if they just made M1 even more efficient than if they added like an extra 100 million powers? I don't know. Um, I guess it also depends like how far we can push the technology and how much we can innovate on it. But I think the fan coming out was huge. I think also um, the mini LED tech will be better also for battery um, and like optimizing and having the specific areas. I also think that- The dimming does, yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah. You're much more technical, exactly. Um, I think that their MacBook Air isn't necessarily like the um, sexy device that a lot of people talk about. I feel like people focus on the MacBook Pro, but I think that the MacBook Air sells a ton still. So I, it's cool that they're still focusing on it if this rumor ends up being true. I love that that Apple's focused on on this machine. And it, it's, it's, it's awesome because you see people pushing the limits of what they can do with a, a mid-range consumer laptop that, that yeah. has no fan, that has a chip that will continue to surprise you even years down the line. Um, and I love that you brought up when it comes to battery, uh, you know, this has been a theme in computing since, since the dawn of time is, you know, it's all about heat. How do we get heat out of the system? And yeah, now the, now the, these 
The Apple Silicon chips are great. They don't produce as much heat as the Intel ones that felt like a hot plate when you touch them. <laughs> but you know, now, now the battery is getting warmer because we have such a large battery in there. This is a problem with the iPhone. We were talking earlier about the MagSafe battery pack and how it'll actually uh, downclock its charging speed if, if it sees that the iPhone is overheating. Those, that's, that's something that third-party manufacturers of cases and batteries, things like that, don't think about. And you could be yeah. harming your phone. It's resale value even. Yeah. I think um, that's something that a lot of people or even OEMs don't think about when they add like fast charge tech. Um, if you are like continuously fast charging your phone, if the proper heat things aren't in place, you could actually end up like damaging the battery or just shortening the lifespan of it. Um, so I think, yeah, we're going to see also as people become more conscious of e-waste, I think that we're going to see people wanting to maybe keep their devices longer or, um, and we're going to see that anyways, because devices are getting a little bit better. Um, but I also think that we're going to see companies try to get a little bit um, more like environmentally conscious with what parts they put into the phone. So I think that that will also affect um, what we see in the next like decade or so. Do you think iPhones will get cheaper? Um, I don't think that the flagship iPhone will get cheaper, but I think Apple, in my opinion, is definitely becoming a little bit more of a software subscription-based model. And if you want to sell people software and subscriptions, then you need to give them a hardware product to sell it to. So I think yes. that we will continue to see like the cheaper iPhone to get people into the ecosystem. Um, and then you can get the Apple credit card and AirPods. So like the one $500 purchase can actually lead them to a lot more money. But I think that the flagships will stay at their price. What do you think? You think that um, it will decrease? Given all the recycling efforts and renewable things, efforts that you mentioned, you would you would want to hope that they would get cheaper. It seems like their products are getting more and more expensive. Yeah, I get I get things like mini mini LED are are quite cutting edge, and to throw that in a consumer product is is a big deal. So okay, tack on a hundred dollars to the iPad Pro. That's now eleven hundred. It used to start you know at nine hundred. Yeah, hundred ninety nine uh, or a thousand. Keep, stop kidding around Apple. Um, but you know, it's, I think, do you think Apple, I feel like Apple's looking for a ceiling. Like how much do you think people would be willing to, to pay when we call it pro or, or pro max XL, you know, whatever the next thing is, yeah. whatever it may be. Um, I feel like they're kind of testing the waters. Remember when the iPhone 10 came out, it was like, Whoa, a thousand bucks for a smartphone. That's outrageous. Nobody's going to buy that. Yeah. You know, it's for that. As soon as it came out, you know, by the end of the first quarter, it was the best-selling smartphone of all time in quarter one, 2018, I believe. I think that what we're going to see is that Apple will continue to push the ceiling on the high-end stuff, but then they'll also offer more low-end options. They have the iPad Pro that's more expensive. Yes. Now they have the regular iPad and the iPad Air. Um, so I think that they're going to keep filling out their lineup to kind of give you an option at every single price point. And I think that in the past, the cheaper options were not nearly as good. Like the iPhone SE, it's smaller, like the battery wasn't great. There's tons of drawbacks to it, but now it feels like their lower end options are pretty good. Like you get a pretty yes. good experience. And I just think that that speaks to Apple transitioning to the software stuff of like Apple Arcade, Apple TV, um, the Apple Music, uh, all these like other services I think are, um, could long-term make more money for Apple. Like if you become an iPhone user, and you buy into the ecosystem, they can make $150 in selling you headphones and then $1,000 in selling you your computer. Like the ecosystem is so scalable now because you have all yes. these products that you're not just 
normally when you buy one product, you're not just buying one product. You'll probably buy at least one other thing. Uh, definitely. You drew attention to the idea that, that Apple is very much morphing into more of a services-focused company. Most of their money comes from people paying for things like iCloud and Apple Music, not products. So, And it's scalable too. Like yes. there's a certain ceiling that you can hit with physical products because you have you have to build more production places. You, you have to get more factories. You have to get more people to package it. So as you try to scale it, there are a lot more people that you have to add to the team versus when you're building a digital product, you don't have to add a new member to the team every time you sell a new product because it's like an over the air kind of update. Um, so I think even for YouTubers to tie this back, like Mr. Beast has said many times that he thinks that one of the major things that YouTubers are gonna work on is mobile games versus physical merch like a hoodie because it's much more scalable and you can reach people in all parts of the world without worrying about shipping and customs and yes. all these other elements. So I think we're gonna see the same thing with Apple. I think they're gonna, since they have so much capital, they can do things like invest a ton of money into Apple TV and get incredible actors and make great shows immediately and become a real competitor to HBO Max and Netflix. Um, I think we're gonna keep seeing that. And I think also another thing with subscriptions and services is that it's reoccurring revenue. So when someone buys an iPhone for $1,000, they get that $1,000 at one time. But if they buy iCloud and Apple TV and it ends up being like $150 a year, Apple could end up making the iPhone multiple times back like throughout their life of being an Apple customer. I feel like your your market vision is, is so on track. We recently had Netflix. They made an announcement saying that they're going to bring gaming to, to the Netflix platform free. And, and, and I don't know if there will be tears after that, after they get people hooked and addicted to whatever games they're, they're providing. But uh, game, gaming, cloud gaming is a huge thing for the future. Uh, I can imagine Apple Arcade shifting to cloud gaming, although I love the offline aspect of it right now. I think that's one of the major selling points. Agreed, yeah. I think, um, yeah, I think we're going to keep seeing it. And I also think like India is such a huge market and it's as more and more people from India get on the internet, um, there's an opportunity to get more and more people on services. And um, I think that like logistically, it's a little harder obviously to ship things internationally than ship things within the, like domestically in the US. So what makes sense is just to offer them a service that they can buy onto. Um, yeah, so I think that there's a ton of potential there. And I also think like as time goes on, you're gonna need more and more storage, for example. So there's potential for you to keep upgrading your plan um, as you take more photos and the camera on the iPhone gets better. So the files are larger. Now you need more storage. Yes. So I think like everything is like directly related and Apple like just kills it with like the serendipity between their um, products and um, how it's going to keep scaling as an ecosystem. It, and a lot of people think that and in many ways, I, I agree with this, that it's, it's Apple's end game to just box us into all their services so that we can keep paying them more. But then you also look at things like HEVC video encoding uh, and HEIC photo encoding and, and how efficient those things are. You have these Android phones that are launching with 108 megapixel cameras and, and you can't even tell the difference between that and a 12 megapixel photo on an iPhone and yet it's taking up you know five times as much space on your phone. There's, there's not anything being done to, to compress that, to free up space for you locally and on the cloud, whether it's Google Photos, or whatever you're using on Android. So I, yeah. I, I definitely think uh, Apple has to make careful decisions uh, about, their, about their services. And I love that you talked about scalability because that's, that's exactly where it's at. 
Thank you. Yeah, um, I, I appreciate the word aligned. I think um, also with just the model of like trapping you into the ecosystem, I think obviously any company, it's advantageous to create a network of products that works together seamlessly. And I think when people are critical of that, I, I understand the criticism because I, I do like genuinely think that a lot of the things are meant to like keep you in like iMessage. But I also think that it dismisses the incredible feat that it is to create such an integral interconnected ecosystem like the fact that when you're um listening to something but then you get a text on your phone your airpods will switch over or yes um, you can airdrop something really easily like there's so many things that just like is unmatched by android like there's no ecosystem on android that matches the apple ecosystem i can't even really think of a company that has as good of an ecosystem as apple um so i think that yeah we, we should be like critical about it but i also think that it's important to like it's amazing too the other it's, it's one, a, it's, it's a walled garden, but it's looking more beautiful than ever these days. Yeah, dude, that's such a good way to put it. Yes. Yeah, 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 totally. I also think like there was some reports of Apple looking into creating a hospital. Um, and I don't know if you saw that, but it, it was like kind yes, of an exclusive Apple report. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm actually working on a video about this right now. But oh, cool. the, the thing for me that's so interesting about that is that Tim Cook has said that he thinks Apple's biggest contribution to the world will be a health contribution. And I think for, first of all, I, if we look at it from like, let's only look at the good, like maybe they genuinely want to help people. And I think that's a huge part of it. Like they want to make people healthier, but also from a business perspective, I think the personal health industry is about to become even more lucrative than it is. People really want to know everything about their health, their sugar levels, their blood oxygen, even if they can't do anything with the data or it's not helpful for them to know it. People want to be in control of their own health data now. Um, and exactly. the Apple watch is a huge part of that. Uh, so I think that we're going to keep seeing Apple get more and more into the health space too. Obviously they have Apple fitness. So I think that's going to be a huge part of their business in the next decade too. That, that's so important that you point that out because we do have Tim Cook on record saying, yes, our, our biggest contribution will be health. And, and, and it's, it's important to ask questions about uh, where Apple wants to go in that industry. Will there be something like Apple healthcare that is more affordable than government healthcare? Uh, things like that. So you start to think about that. And what, what we're really seeing right now at, at this particular point in time is uh, the democratization of health. And, mm -hmm. and you talked about that, being able to stay informed on, on fundamental things. You know, I might have AFib. I might have yeah. low blood oxygen. What does that mean? I can research these things myself and ask important questions on my own. I didn't have to go to a doctor, visit an office and have that doctor tell me what's wrong with me some of the most fundamental things like my walking steadiness, my breathing, you know, all these things are yeah. on my wrist. And so when that's in my control uh, and, and I'm not paying, you know, monthly deductibles for it, there's a sense of comfort in that. Yeah. I think, um, I think it's really important for, to note like that that's incredible. And there's so many innovations with that. I also think that like, it, it can't be a replacement for a doctor, like just having this health data. So I think that there needs to, Apple was trying to figure out a way to have like actual Apple doctors that could help you look at the data and report it. Um, and I think that, that it didn't go so well in the beginning. So I'm interested to see if Apple keeps going down that path or if they just decide to become the software for hospitals, because there is this huge opportunity right now to be Apple so good at software to kind of yes. come in and be the software. Because right now the like I've been doing a ton of research on it for the video and like there's three main software companies that are in the health care system 
and they all kind of suck. Like their optimization is yeah. really not that great. Um, so I think that if Apple came in and patients were able to track their stuff with the Apple Watch and then it synced to their doctors and it worked like how we know Mac OS or other operating systems to work, there could be a big opportunity there for them both to help the greater good, but then also financially, like the personal health industry is kind of a lucrative industry. Um, yeah. What do Definitely. you think? Like it's, it's it's like handoff, but for doctors. I yeah, handoff, but, but kind for, of. Yeah, do that actually. Medical, I mean, you could totally industry. see, you could totally see it like um, that happening in the hospital. I also think though that there's a lot more like red tape around getting into the health industry, rightfully yes. so. Like the FDA has to approve things a lot more clearly. So Apple can add sensors like to track your glucose, but then it has to get approved. So they don't necessarily have the same experience that other health companies do, like Johnson and Johnson or other companies um, to like innovation in the health industry is much slower than innovation in the tech industry because you yes. have to make sure that it's safe and that you do all these studies and stuff before you come out with something new. So there's just going to be like a lot more of, it's not going to be as like, they won't be able to make as huge strides as they can when they go from one generation to the next on the iPhone. But um, I still think that they're going to definitely put their time into it, even if it's just with the Apple watch and adding more sensors and then connecting that to a hospital. But I honestly think that their contribution is going to be much bigger than that. That would be the dream. Just thinking about how much a doctor could monitor from home and then yeah. just alert you. The algorithm would tell the doctor first and then the doctor would tell you, or you'd both yeah. know at the same time. There's so many possibilities. Cause it's I also think sometimes getting the data without any context from a doctor can be really scary. Like, yes, Oh, it's it looks like, like my, <laughs> yeah, it literally <laughs> like you, I have cancer. you think you're fine. <laughs> and then you think you're dying like a second later because yeah. you get a notification. Yeah. So I think there's, there's part of that too. Like, like I watched an interview of this doctor saying that he, after the Apple Watch, since the Apple Watch, it's um, mostly bought by really young people. There's an mm -hmm. inverse correlation between people that buy that young people and having AFib. But because people have the Apple Watch that are young, he's seeing an uptick of people, young people coming in for AFib. And then oh. in reality, it's like some of the times they actually caught it and it's great. And then other times people are unnecessarily anxious or worried about something that isn't a problem. So he was saying like, we need to figure out a way to get this watch on the people that are more likely to have it, like older people. And then also we need a way to put the data into perspective. So people just aren't getting inundated, inundated with health information that they can't act on or understand. That's, that's very important. It's, it's like you said, it's like web, WebMD logging on and, you know, for, you know, uh, a sore throat and all of a sudden, oh, I have, I have throat cancer and you're freaking yeah. out because you think you're going to It literally die. can happen. I mean, I had literally. that happen to me like recently where I um, like, I figured out I, I had like a really bad headache or something. And I also was having a couple other symptoms and I put it in and I was like, oh my God, like what's going to happen to me? And then it was like yeah. nothing. I was like sleep deprived. Um, I, I love that you brought up how much slower the the health and, and, and government approval moves uh, compared to to tech innovation in general. Um, you look at things like the Apple Watch, the Apple Watch Series 6, it's been out for nearly a year, and the blood oxygen sensor is still not endorsed by any major health organization, whereas you have features like ECG. As soon as Apple launched the Apple Watch Series 4, ECG was the big feature that debuted. They marched up on stage and said, FDA approval, it's already there. National Heart Association, they're backing us. So, it, it, you know, Apple may be jamming in uh, far more sensors than than the industry can can even handle as far as approval or endorsement and things like that. Yeah, and the way um, the way that you like the way Apple pitches it is as like a health device, but then the way that they get it approved is as like a wellness device because there are just like different levels of 
I guess, inspection, depending on how you submit. So I think that I don't think that we'll see like Apple make a pacemaker anytime soon, because mm-hmm. I think like that type of tech, it's just like you it, there's not going to be as much innovation in that area, because like if you make a mistake when you innovate, you could end up killing a ton of people that use it. So um, yeah. I see Apple's contribution being a little bit more software focused and a little bit more like helping you just get the data to your doctor. But I think that it's not out of the question to think that there could be an Apple hospital or something in the future that's like super techie and relies a lot on you like using their products. And just to wrap up this subject, like it also would really trap you in the ecosystem. Like if your doctor is from Apple, you're going to be a lot less likely to switch to Android because then you have to find a new doctor now. Like there are, there are so many elements it's, to it's it. another way of locking you in for even further than a, than a credit card. Yeah, you for sure. Yeah. That- Imagine an Apple pacemaker. Just go ahead and mag save this to your chest. We'll build in some magnets. <laughs> and what are you going to do? You're not going to like switch because the new S20 has an extra camera. Like you're going to be a lot more likely to stay in the ecosystem if you if your life revolves around if your life revolves around it a lot. Uh, uh, introducing the new Apple Heart Pro Max with an extra <laughs> valve for fail safe. Truly, though, like that, I I think it's not unrealistic to think that they could end up partnering with a lot of companies and doing stuff like that. Well, we saw Apple involved. They actually patented, created, and then patented their own face shield that was, that was uh, designed by Apple's design team. Uh, leader, Evans, Evans Hanke. Yeah. During the pandemic, they, wow. uh, they designed their own proprietary face shield and got it patented. It happened in, in the, the first few months of the pandemic by April, they, they already had them wow. out. Yeah, it's extraordinary. So Apple has a little experience building physical products, even if it's just a mask in the health industry. And you can see that that uh, that they value that industry just beyond consumer products and what can be offered there. Yeah, they could be like B2B also um, instead of like um, business to consumer. I could see them yes. selling some of their tech or their um, processes and factories to other health businesses and partnering with them. Um, I think that, yeah, this next decade, I think is going to be super interesting to watch how Apple progresses as a company, especially because like Tim Cook has now publicly said that he thinks that that's going to be their contribution. I think that means that there are definitely a lot of solidified plans around expanding the health niche in the Apple ecosystem. As we wrap up today's show, where can the people find you, Jacqueline? Yeah. Thank you uh, again for having me on. I love just like talking deep tech with people. I feel like so many people um, aren't really interested in that. They just want to know like what the next phone to buy is. So yes always a privilege to get to do something like this. So thank you. Um, you can find me on YouTube. If you go to youtube.com backslash NBT Jacqueline and Jacqueline is spelled J-A-C-K-L-Y-N. That's like my same handle on Twitter and Instagram. And then the podcast I co-host with Darsh Kathani and it's called The Digital Dive. Excellent. Thank you so thank much you for so coming much. on. It's Dude, really been you. a blast. Appreciate and, it. And- and you can find me over on Instagram and Twitter, just at Bromshank. That's B-R-A-H-M. Go ahead and visit applelosophy.com for even more in the latest tech news, tech of today and the tech of this week, tech of the past. You can view our archives. Thank you guys so much for watching, and we'll see you again next week.